The Daily 202's Big Idea is sponsored by Delta. At Delta Airlines, we're committed to donating 1% of our net profits to charities around the world. For more information about Delta, visit Delta.com. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Tuesday, June 5th. In today's news, President Trump rescinds his invitation to the Philadelphia Eagles to celebrate their Super Bowl championship at the White House. Bob Mueller accuses Paul Manafort of attempted witness tampering. And the Supreme Court rules in favor of a Colorado baker who refused to bake a wedding cake for a gay couple. But first, the big idea. RFK's speech in apartheid South Africa remains relevant 50 years after his assassination. On the night of June 5, 1968, Robert F. Kennedy had just won the Democratic primary in California. He delivered a victory speech to supporters at the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles. So, uh, my thanks to all of you, and now it's on to Chicago, and let's win there. Thank you. The youngest Kennedy brother, who had been attorney general and then elected to the U.S. Senate, looked like he'd have a lot of momentum going into that summer's Democratic convention. Then, as the 42-year-old exited the ballroom through the kitchen, the nation suffered another trauma. Not only Senator Kennedy, oh my God, Senator Kennedy has been shot. That was 50 years ago today. He died the next day. But exactly two years before his death, on June 6, 1966, 52 years ago tomorrow, Kennedy delivered the best speech of his life at the University of Cape Town in South Africa. It was a revolutionary address that captured the revolutionary zeitgeist of the 1960s as well as any other. He boldly spoke out against apartheid and delivered an ode to freedom and liberty that is both timeless and universal. The South African government very reluctantly agreed to grant Kennedy a visa that allowed him entry to the country, and only because officials didn't think they could refuse someone of his stature. The South African government, which had just expelled a New York Times reporter for critical coverage, denied entry to 40 different print and television journalists who wanted to cover Kennedy's trip. A young student leader named Ian Robertson, who ran the National Union of South African Students, had invited Kennedy to come for their Day of Affirmation, when members of the multiracial group, which resisted apartheid, rededicated themselves to the ideals of freedom. The holiday had been created after the government banned non-white students from universities in 1959. The audience was huge. An estimated 18,000 came to hear the American politician, but it was all white in a country that very much was not. The government wouldn't permit anyone else. Kennedy began by acknowledging America's own struggles with race and the civil rights battles that were then raging back home. Even as my father grew up in Boston, Massachusetts, signs told him no Irish need apply. Two generations later, President Kennedy became the first Irish Catholic and the first Catholic to head the nation. But how many men of ability had before 1961 been denied the opportunity to contribute to the nation's progress because they were Catholic or because they were of Irish extraction? How many sons of Italian or Jewish or Polish parents slumbered in the slums, untaught, unlearned, 
their potential loss forever to our nation and to the human race. Even today, what price will we pay before we have assured full opportunity to millions of Negro Americans? Kennedy noted that in the last five years, more had been done to assure equality for African Americans than in the previous hundred. But he noted that much work remained. No two nations are the same, but Kennedy said what's important is that all nations must march toward increasing freedom. Kennedy's willingness to acknowledge America's imperfections and its failures to live up to its promise lent credibility to his message. He told the young university students who dreamed of a better future for their country that each of them individually could make a difference. Kennedy specifically invoked Martin Luther King Jr., who had recently won the Nobel Peace Prize and would be assassinated a few months before him in 1968. King had been invited by the same group, but the government denied his visa because he was black. Few will have the greatness to bend history itself, Kennedy said, but each person in that room could work to change a small portion of events and in the total of all those acts, write the history of a generation. Each time a man stands up for an ideal or acts to improve the lot of others, or strikes out against injustice, he sends forth a tiny ripple of hope and crossing each other from a million different centers of energy and daring. Those ripples build a current which can sweep down the mightiest walls of oppression and resistance. That passage is now engraved in granite at Kennedy's gravesite in Arlington National Cemetery. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, President Trump rescinded his invitation to the Philadelphia Eagles the night before an event that was scheduled to celebrate their Super Bowl championship at the White House. Only a dozen or so players were planning to attend, and a number of the biggest stars said they weren't coming. Trump blamed it on the dispute over the national anthem, in which he criticized NFL players who took a knee as a form of protest against police brutality and other race-related issues. White House aides say Trump made the decision to avoid the personal embarrassment that would come if only a small group of players were standing behind him. Trump says instead he'll celebrate with Eagles fans at the White House. Remember that Pennsylvania, the keystone of the president's victory, will be a battleground in 2018 and 2020. Senator Bob Casey, a Democrat up for re-election this fall, last night invited the Eagles to take a tour of the Capitol instead. Number two. Robert Mueller's team accused Paul Manafort last night of attempted witness tampering. The special counsel is now asking a federal judge to consider jailing the former Trump campaign chairman, who right now is on home confinement pending trial. Prosecutors say Manafort and a longtime associate closely linked to Russian intelligence repeatedly asked two members of a public relations firm via phone and encrypted text messaging apps to falsely testify about secret lobbying work they did at Manafort's behest. Meanwhile, despite Trump's claims that he has the right to pardon himself and that Mueller's appointment was unconstitutional, his lawyers are preparing for a fraught legal battle ahead. As the two sides move closer toward a confrontation over a presidential interview in the coming weeks, newly hired White House lawyer Emmett Flood and other attorneys are strategizing about just how to handle a subpoena expected from Mueller. Number three, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of a Colorado baker who refused to create a wedding cake for a gay couple, saying that the state's Civil Rights Commission had been hostile to the business owner's Christian faith. 
While the justices split in their reasoning, only Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Sonia Sotomayor dissented. Justice Anthony Kennedy wrote the majority opinion. He said the baker, Jack Phillips, did not receive respectful and neutral consideration that he was entitled to. He noted that comments from commissioners on the Civil Rights Board in Colorado denigrated Phillips's religious beliefs. But Kennedy said the decision was more of a start than a conclusion to the court's consideration of the rights of those with religious objections to same-sex marriage and the rights of gay people. The swing justice, Kennedy, said that the question of when religious beliefs must give way to anti-discrimination laws may be very different in future cases, especially as gay rights become more widely accepted. No one today, for example, would say it's okay for a baker to refuse to make a cake for an interracial couple, but a few decades ago, courts probably would have thought differently. The next test case could come quite quickly. The court is set to consider this week whether to review a Washington state Supreme Court decision that a florist could not legally decline to provide flowers for a same-sex wedding. And that's The Daily 202 for Tuesday, June 5th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. I'll talk to you tomorrow.